Blog Talk Radio. Psychic hour, we are here. Finally, a couple minutes. We're having a little bit of trouble with the internet today, so hopefully the the connection will be smooth. So we shall see. We have a caller in the queue, and we're going to get to her shortly. 914 is the call in number for those who haven't called in yet. And we invite you to join us on Facebook and Twitter. Those accounts are linked on our blog, Chuck Radio profile, Neil and Kristen Baker Psychic. Okay, let's bring on our caller. First, I'm going to write the date. But I did post the show early. That was good. So, did that. Got one thing accomplished at a time. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Hi. Hi, Dion. Thank Dion. you for taking my call. Sure. Let's turn you off. So, so. Okay. So now the other day, can you hear me? Yes. And if you if you message me on Messenger, I was not. I haven't even been in Messenger since Wednesday because yesterday was we had a really busy day, so I didn't even go on Messenger. So go ahead. Just want to say that. No, don't worry about that. Um, so the other day, you and Neil, during your show, the name Candy came up. And at that time, I was like, I couldn't, I don't know, sometimes I just feel like a deer in headlights and I freeze. But then later that day, later that day, I remembered the reference to the candy had to do with the song that Aaron sang. And then the next oh, day, yeah. I talked to my friend Candy, whose husband is in the film industry. And um, she was one of the people that encouraged me to write the documentary um, and stuff like that. And so I'm calling to let you know that the reference to the word um, was like instant. I just didn't know it when I was talking to you on the show because I don't know. I, maybe I get stage fright or something and freeze. That's okay. I, I just so Neil said candy cane, right? I think. Yeah. It was candy cane. But, of course, candy is included in that stuff. Back. I'll go to that. Um, so, so you then connected it to the Aaron Carter song, and then you spoke with someone, Candy. So isn't it funny how things 
evolve from one word? Right. And then what I did was is I found a list of Canadian film producers. And the list that I found was like over 700 contacts. And I would I I emailed them and Kristen I took your advice when you told me to change the the query I guess is what you would call oh, it query. yes oh so okay. I changed that and boy did I get positive I mean it it was I got positive feedback in regards to the query and the majority of the instant feedback was um, it sounds like a powerful story, but I don't have time right now, or I'm working on a project until, you know, through 2025 or something like that. It wasn't anybody that was like, oh, this is a terrible idea. (laughs) So anyway, I just wanted to let you know that, yeah, it prompted me to find a whole new watering hole. And I took your advice, Kristen, and, um, I was I was getting feedback, and I'm gonna to continue to get feedback too. I'm looking for employment, but it would. My point is, is that it was already a positive start. Great, great. So that's it, really. That's so, that's 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 great news. So now things have. I mean, with the with the script, you're getting different responses because of the query letter being changed is what you're communicating, right? And, the, and the type of people that I approached. The American people were, I don't want to say rude, but the majority of them were standoffish. And also there's a strike going on. And so... I'm looking for somebody who's working right now because I'm looking to work with somebody right now. And so it prompted me to go into an area that I didn't think about before. Canada, I didn't even think about before. Yeah. Uh, So just advice, Keep keep your theme very specific. Don't try to meander and tie in all kinds of things into it. Keep, make sure your your um, your manuscript is very linear. You, you don't want to wander too much. The other thing is uh, try to you have to try to convince a potential publisher or agent why this story is urgent. Be beside your own personal involvement in it, that could also be inclusive of corruption. But you've got to you've got to make it vivid to the reader that this is a problem that is part of our commerce, part of our 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 makeup, and how anyone can be susceptible to, to uh, these kinds of crimes. And, this, and flaws in the justice system and taking advantage of people. So that's what I would say. Um, in reading part of your beginning of your manuscript, uh, you know, it was all very interesting and compelling, but it wasn't getting it, it the meandered to, into such a wide scope that it lost tr- it lost track of what your book's really about. It dilutes the, 
the topic. Yeah, you don't want to do that. It doesn't. I mean, you know, I may I may love scenes from Star Wars, but if I'm watching Gunfight at the OK Corral, I don't want to see Star Wars at the beginning. So what you got to do is keep it very specific to the topic, keep it compelling, and try to understand a reader's mind. Why would they want to read this? What would be the importance of it? Because a, an editor or a publisher or an agent is going to look for how can we sell this, which goes beyond your own mind scope as to what you relate it to or what you're trying to say in a bigger scope. So I would advise you to do that. But the overall attitude is stay with it. But so this is the only thing. I think she sent it already. So wait, the query letter, did you send the manuscript with it? No. Okay, so you have time to like maybe make some adjustments. I definitely have to edit. I I definitely could use an editor to help me tighten it up because I I do tend to be very wordy, that I do know. And um, so... I agree with the tightening up of the of the whole tone of the project. For sure. You don't want to use too much in the beginning because I mean, when I I remember reading the beginning pages and you're kind of uh, you know philosophizing. What is wrong with me? About you know what if this, what if that, and that to me was a bit distracting because you want to get right into the topic. I mean, you know, grab them with something that is a fact about the case, something shocking, yeah. and then start to, um, then start to, then start to uh, you know, elaborate on that and connect the dots. Okay. Yeah, when you when look at... I was at, writing it, no, go ahead, Neil. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, when I was writing it, I was doing it in a way to avoid litigation because, as you know, I want to stay out of the courtroom. And so part of the whole reason why it was so spread out was so I wouldn't be thrown into court because the reality is, is even though I have, like, the confession tapes, that's a fact. So maybe I could start with something that I already have and well, or that I, I participated with turning the evidence over to the FBI and to the local police department. That's a fact. So start with something like that and how they just kind of overlooked it and put, pushed it to the side. Well, writing controversial manuscripts, um, we were just... Uh, that we were talking about that writer and we realized he had died, but he, he had written all this stuff about conspiracies. And then he was writing about conspiracies. And then we looked him up. We realized he had died like 20 years ago, but he was, he was, he worked for the FBI. He was oh, you mean the guy that I, I, I believe Jennifer sent us the video. It was the video of the FBI. He worked yeah. for the FBI. Jennifer sent us the video, but I had already seen the video 
in part, you know, I, I was aware of this person prior, and yes, he had died. What you've got to do is, no, don't be so paranoid about being drafted in court. What you've got to do is understand the parameters of what you can say, short of being sued, but making sort of accusations. You know, people do unauthorized biographies. All the time. They, people do all kinds of, you know, all the president's men. You have certain facts you can base it upon and present it as a theory, you might want to contact an attorney and just say, how far can I go with this short of being sued for libel or, or discriminating or something like that. So, you know, that's what you want to, you don't want to limit yourself to where you watered it down so much that the topics have become so vague, your reader doesn't understand what you're really, who you're really attacking. But what you also, and what makes it intriguing is to attack the visible source. Now that makes for good, that makes for good um, journalism. So the other thing is, you know, not only, not only the idea of, you know, presenting something that's kind of a bombshell at the beginning, but you could do that and then go back in time and, make it a story about his life and then start to interweave the components that where things start to get dark and, and all the facts that you've gathered. So it's, it's, it's a journey for the reader that's interesting and engaging. And I have to look more at the script personally and, to, and, to know what's been done. And part but. of it, I'm sorry, I, I, just, I have ADHD and, I'm, and it's so rude for me to cut you off. No, it's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm fine. Part of it was that I felt like if I got it put out into the public eye, that somebody would still investigate his murder. That was another reason why I just threw it out there like I did. But you're right. I do have time right now to go back through it all and redefine it. So that's what I'll be spending my time doing now. I, I, um, you're right on that. Both of you are right on that. And um, and um, I'm looking for an apartment too. So those two things are my main focus right now. But I do have time to. Did I tell you that you got me the? Yeah. On? Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I'm I'm on that path too. But the time in between, I can spend on the um uh, on what you're saying. So I'll do that. Yeah. Beyond uh, his advice, look at the reputable, quote, reputable history of the company and, and go and base it on facts. And then slowly, as your manuscript progresses, start to, start to chip away on contradictions and loopholes in terms of their profile and reputation. Well, it's not really a company because she's writing about the murder of, I mean, who are you going after? But it in? is. You're, I mean, I, Sony, I understand that, but there's many components to, I mean, it's not only the company, but we've got individuals that are at players in this. Yeah, the cover-up. The cover-up in that. But you want to start off by profiling the subjects at hand so that where, where they all seem outstanding, right. what you're doing is, is corroding this, the foundation with other accusations perhaps, not maybe based on fact, but, but is surrounded by 
strange circumstances, so it's a theory. If somebody wrote a book about Holloway or some murder that took place and theorized who could have done it and start to talk about the corruption, the police force hiding things, I mean, you know, you just don't want to mention names. So you could say... Well, I, yeah, I did start off with how, like, his grandfather... Okay, so Aaron's grandfather's father, okay, so Jimmy Carter, president, the, President Jimmy Carter's father lived with his uncle because his uncle killed his father. So that was the whole point of, like, the first three chapters was to talk about how this is how they do their family business. Right, that's but, understandable. But later on is when I bring up, like, the other singers. So what... I think Neil is saying, and what you're saying is, is to bring that point up in the very beginning to keep the reader engaged, right? Yeah, more or less. Okay, okay. And then, and then you can go backwards in time gotcha. from that point. But what? See, go but Neil. Well, you're also your 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 core number in your birthday. The five. core number is five, which is expression, language, writing. So you have a. You're you're really working off of a attitude of past life journalism. So theory wise, you've done this before, past life. Probably worked for a newspaper. Newspaper, yeah, that's what I was gonna say. I would think. Yeah. Uh, if you want if you wanna really play games, I think it was in Chicago. Well, she's from Chicago. Oh, I I, I I didn't I don't remember. She's from Chicago. I'm, I'm just giving you a quick reading. I don't, I don't know if you were from Chicago. I I tried to remember. To I know you didn't remember, but she I is. So know. yeah. So you worked there before the Chicago Tribune, and you were an investigative reporter. So I think that came from uh, past life. At that point, just for your amusement, you were a male, and you wore those really round glasses with the thick lens. Um, those were somewhat stylish in the 20s and 30s. Uh, yeah, they made a comeback. Yeah. So you had those saucer-like eyeglasses, but and you had very, very bad eyesight. So the lenses were very thick. But your, um, your uh, attitude, and I do believe, uh, you know, just for amusement, I do believe that in that lifetime you knew Bennett Cirque. Huh? To look up Bennett Surf. Did he? Did he like to surf? No, C E R F. I know my figures. Making a, um, a joke. E R F. Never even heard of that word before. C E R F. She is a cat. E S E T T. Oh yeah, I wore those glasses. You wore. Oh, it's a person by the name of Surf. Yeah, Bennett Surf. Bennett Surf. He was a journalist. Oh, Bennett. Oh, he found a random house. Yeah, well, I should know these. Ben things, Sir, but, I mean, uh, you know, he was a publisher too, mm. very, very famous. Um, not only that, he appeared on game show. No, I, I know. I just, shows. I just at breath at the same time you said that, I scrolled, uh, uh, um, scrolled over what's yeah, my tell line. Tell the truth or something. What's my line? What's my line? He made the uh, to tell the truth as well. Um, Bennett Sir, highly intellectual, socialite, etc. He is also but, a five fire member. Yeah. I mean, what you could do is you could absorb your, you could look at his biography, think about it, 
try to get a dream coming out of it. Because you connect to him. What was his year of birth? Um, 98. No, no, no. He died in 71. 1898. Yeah. So, you know, in the 40s, he was well, 40s and 50s. Uh, he was well established um, and becoming a public figure. You could look at maybe some of the journalistic pieces he did, see how he wrote. But I also think, I also think, I mean, if you've got a little bit of time on your hands, I mean, let's talk about the writing classes that you've taken. I know you joined a reader's group, a reader's group, um, a writer's group, I mean, at one point when you were living in Chicago, right? Or yes, in the sub Chicago. So as far as writing is concerned, what is your history with writing prior to that and afterwards? Well, as far as- when I was a freshman in high school, I got kicked out of English class, and my teacher just for some reason didn't like me because I asked too many questions. And then when I was 18 years old, I went to some a psychic lady in in uh, Chicago, near Chicago, and she was the one that told me that later in life I was going to write books. Hmm. And so um, it was it, when I was like 18, though. And so like after that, I turned to you know opening up to being a writer instead of working for my dad. So I, as far as writing classes, I've only taken handwriting analysis classes in college. But it wasn't like I went in to study any kind of journalism or put any other thought into it at all. No, and I think that would be helpful. I mean, handwriting analysis would not be applicable to writing an investigative um, expose. So, you know, if you have time to take a class, composition, any, any, any education, and you're, what, almost 50 years old, but who cares? You know, anything that might help you become better at your craft. I mean, because writing is, I mean, Neil's written 10 books and well-educated, well-educated in, in many subjects. But writing, I mean, that was one of your major studies in your academic career. So, you know, when, when, when someone sets out to uh, do something, whether it's be a mathematician or a musician or a, a writer, getting an education is, is always going to be helpful. The other part of it is the, the investigative part. So, you know, you obviously have a knack for sleuthing, but I mean, you know, career change, what, what could you do? Be a private detective. Maybe, maybe you could, you could, Take classes in that in that field, so you're sharpening your skills, and you're going to become better at and better at what you want to do in life. Your passion. That's what I think. Personally, that's my suggestion. Okay. Yeah, because I don't think you just. I mean, for I. I think you're going to refine, be able to refine better what you have already written. If you've got more um, background, more educational background. Also, I agree. Uh, before we part here, you have to dig deep and try to grasp why you're down here. What was the reason for you coming down here yet again, aside from the karmic necessities of doing another lifetime? 
And what you want to grasp is, have I lived up to my cause? Have I lived up to the reason why I'm really down here? I didn't come down here to have pleasure. That's not why one returns to earth. I mean, there are hedonistic people that what you know live for pleasure is fine. But, but they, they come back. <laughs> they come back, unfortunately. But the real purpose of life is, have you completed what you were meant to do? And it can't be contingent on the fear of whether you succeed or fail. It's contingent on the, on the process of doing it. And if you have this compelling, um, driven desire or, or need to complete this book, and reveal your theories, then you've got to do it from start to finish. And make sure, because incorporated in that may be 80% of why you're here. Okay. Okay, anything else, Dion? Why do I want to pronounce your name wrong? Dion. Well, I have, all of my siblings are these too. Oh, really? So you might have been bringing in, like, the younger. I feel like the family kind of doesn't understand why I never went backwards. Or I don't know. Sometimes I feel like they're trying to creep in somehow with somebody. And I just don't. You know, Sam. you know what I'm saying? Like when you said that, you almost brought in my sister's name, Dina. <laughs> oh, really? Which I feel like they're always like creeping around trying to figure out how they can slither back into my life somehow to wreck havoc. So, um, <laughs> Dina, does Dina, um, does she have access to the family? I mean, is she involved in the family business and like an heir to the fortune of the family or no? Well, in my book, I wrote about her, and she was playing a double agent. And so what ended up happening was that she went back to the family. And so ultimately, that's what caused the breakup between her and I. Because originally, it was me and her. It was two against the three. And then at the end, she went back to the family and, you know, left me out in the cold. Now, what her relationship is with them now, I don't know. Um, but I think I think that they're they've been dismantled some. Like the the sister that had the mansion sold her mansion and she's now living in Florida on the other side. She's living on the Gulf Coast and you now she's a realtor like I used to be. So something happened with the family and the family fortune and the family business because they're not the same unit as before. And so I always wonder. I mean, it's just always going to be sharks in the water there, but um, they definitely, things haven't turned out for them, I think, the way that they expected either, mm-hmm. um, but uh, that's who you're probably trying to, that's, it was kind of like a Freudian slip because I feel like they're always circling like sharks. I I don't worry about the family as far as, like, coming after me anymore. Now I worry that they're going to come after me because they want me to be more on their side because the more that I'm getting into the public eye, the worse it's going to look for them. Right. Well, that's understandable for sure. Probably stay far away would be my advice. It's just 
unfortunate. It's just unfortunate that you, with your involvement for so many years and all the time you put in, that you ended up with virtually nothing. And it's so unfair. But, you know, sometimes life isn't fair. That's one. That's it. You know, lesson. I'm not a lesson a lot of us have to learn. So. Yeah. Anyway, I just wanted to call um, and say thank you and check in with you and things like that. So. Okay. I, well, thank nothing you in particular calling. I wanted. Okay. Thank you for everything. Okay. Okay. Keep in touch. Okay. I will. Bye bye. Bye bye. Okay. That was a really well. You told her some psychic stuff. That was good. That's a lot of advice on that. Paul. Well, you were you were more psychic. You were more psychic on the the Chicago, which you didn't remember past life, blah blah blah. But um. Okay, so it's one to one to nothing here. <laughs> or even score. What are you thinking of right What's now? the prize? <laughs> Bagels. Oh, you're right. <laughs> one to one. Uh, so. You know, we we uh, often discuss elements of the astral realm and what it is to be a psychic. And God knows we talked we talked about numerology and the number system, a lot of which we have to keep in reserve for the book we're working on. Um, this coffee tastes really bad today. And, and, yeah. Uh, so it, it's somewhat interesting that when when one looks at one's life, and at some point, sometimes it's when they're younger, but oftentimes it's when one gets older that one begins to question, what was the meaning of my life? It's kind of funny that her five is activating, like, I mean, obviously it's on the karmic side of her birth date, but she's approaching 50 and five and she's approaching the fifth multiple of her karmic number 10. So, you know, there's something going on in the code there. So again, the fifth chakra is the vocal chakra. That would be the writing associated with writing, whatever, in her case, writing. Yeah, I mean, there, expression, there's etc. There's there's certainly some form of literary energy going on. Not but that it, everybody who has a five has to be literate. But in some cases, in my cases, the numbers... Well, it's good. vocal. I mean, vocal chakra, too. So, I mean, musical, music, acting, all that stuff is going to be in that vein of the five. But she's also got a 7-3, which is spirituality, trinity... Um, so, you know, reflecting on the higher reason she's here would be advisable too. But anyway, you were saying something about that. Not everybody, uh, everybody who pursues their, their purpose in life is going to be successful. It uh, oftentimes, it it doesn't work that way. And sometimes it's posthumously and sometimes it's, yeah, that's for uh, sure. It never happens. There's a lot of people who, with all the efforts of their life, are in unmarked graves. Well, yeah, I mean, they're, they, like, there are many people that have refined their 
their their talents, their skills, maybe had some success, but nothing that's been like worldwide or, you know, nationwide, et cetera. And then, you know, it doesn't pan out. And those people are immensely talented and skilled, and that's not what they really get remembered for. The lost and forgotten of our planet, I mean, for those, basically, life beyond death was kept up by word of mouth. It's, you know, you knew the person and the generations that surrounded themselves around the person would talk about the person and keep their memory intact. If you were famous, you had a little bit more the ability to, to keep your reputation, your life moving around the world after your death was was still strong. But unfortunately, even in today's world, um, a lot of famous people, you ask somebody young, oh, do you know you this, know this person is? or that person? They don't know. Yeah, and about. it's like, you know, as, as I mean, I notice for myself, as I, as I climb in my years and more people that I'm, that were, you know, my contemporaries or not my contemporaries necessarily, but, but people that were in the public eye when I was younger start to die and have died, it's like, you know, they're gone. Yeah. And right. it's like, you know, Tina Turner, for example. Now, I wasn't a big fan of Tina Turner, but, you know, big, big, big person in the 80s, um, very popular. I mean, she started way before the 80s, but, I mean, in my awareness, it was the 80s um, when I first became aware of her. And uh, very famous. And she died. And it's like, that's it. There's there hasn't been much really um, press about her death. No, I, I mean I, a little so, bit. We somewhat it, it, it's tragic, but we have every generation becomes somewhat immune to death, and we aren't the first generation that have uh, sort of minimized the, the, the toll of human casualty. You know the wars and the unmarked soldier, unmarked graves. When you, you know, for those that are morbid, when you go to to a cemetery and you look at all those headstones, untouched, unvisited, I mean, who remembers who? They're just lost and forgotten. So what you start to surmise is life is important as you live it. Your experience is important as you live it. Do you leave a legacy? Yeah, you can. And can you be remembered as a household name, or it firmly implanted in the history books, yes, you can. But for the most part, the great wash of death removes the identity of the person and and the remembrance of who they were or what they did, unless you have small circles that keep, keep the name alive or you're just obviously so standardized in being famous that it's it's going to be a long time. You know, George Washington, everybody knows him, but a, a lot of people wouldn't know other other predominant political figures that were very popular in their day. But we're still, still there. Most people would know Washington and wouldn't know Truman. I mean, relatively speaking. But it's the same in all categories of life. Um, how many how many lives that are lived with sheer importance and brilliance or significance 
are then somewhat lost after the, the physical presence of the person and the generation surrounding them are gone. So what you want to do is ultimately is make your mark and be heard. And if you're more of a quiet, solitude individual, then cherish your, your quiet life, your quiet existence. And if, if you do happen to affect somebody or influence somebody, all the better. But again, we're down here not just to pass time. And we're down here not just to have a good time. We're down here not to just have idle talk. We've got to figure out what is this theory of existence and what do we get to accomplish in our lifetime. Well, I think that's, you know, the, the, the way that people are forgotten after death is why there's, I mean, you know, it just makes life on this planet, I don't mean to be morbid, but somewhat bleak. And the fact is we are born to die. We're born to die in, on this planet. And if we don't complete what we're supposed to complete, we come back. And it's this endless cycle of death and rebirth and death and rebirth until you're born into etern, eternal life, which is much more ideal than being stuck on the planet whether you're famous or not. I mean, yeah, make your mark, make your mark. But, I mean, in some ways it's, what, I mean, what does it mean? What does it really mean to make your mark? Yeah. You know, I mean, I know when I was younger, yeah, somebody dying that was really traumatic. traumatic. Yeah. Now as I get older, I'm not so traumatized by hearing about death. It, it just seems to be, it's really strange how the mind absorbs a different philosophy as one gets older. You're in the same body, but it's almost like your brain gets rewired, recoded, and you start to more or less assume a different kind of interpretation of the world. It seems to happen with a lot of people, not everybody, but Again, we are a universe within ourselves, and we're modifying, challenging, releasing, accepting all the premises that we have learned within every moment of our life. So when you get to the, when you start to get to the abyss, when you get to the edge of what would normally be a human lifespan. A lot of people start to ponder. If they're if they're regretful, they they get lost in memories. It's it's sanctuary for them. If they're innovative, they they live in a, like Kurt Douglas, like thriving till the very end. Like you know, who so so what if I'm 105? I'm still your old man. I can still whip you. He said to Michael Douglas, more or less. So the idea that. Uh, we live every moment of our life, but how do we live that moment and how do we deal with the moment of our breath until that final output, whether you die with the pen in your hand or you die with a cracker, you know, in a convalescent home, it's still 
is important that we spend our lives trying to understand the concept of why we're here. Well, yeah. Even to the bitter end. That's the point. I mean, if you observe, like, we're in the United States, so, you know, look around at the people that surround you, your neighbors, people in the, people, people in the world, people in, you know, in the supermarket that are gathering their Memorial Day supplies for their barbecues and they're living for, for, for the holidays or for the time with their family. And that is, I mean, there is joy and pleasure to be gained from those experiences. And I'm not insulting people that, that, enjoy being a part of those types of um, pursuits. But in a way, you know, you look at it and that's why you're, you're really not doing what you're doing. What you're supposed to do it. Not to, you know, to, to, to have barbecues and, 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 oh, it's Christmas. You know, our lives are, are, are controlled by this, uh, constant consumerism and push of holidays and, and, and pressure to procreate. I you mean, know, I don't mean to be well negative, but... Well, you know, it, death is sort of like a commercial. There's, you die, there's a pause, and then the scene comes back to play, and you're on the other side. Now, some people will believe, I've talked to a lot of people, just say, when you die, you die. You just die. You don't exist anymore. So that's it. You're done. Um, okay, but if that's not the case, and the other side of the coin is that when we die, there's a brief pause, and now back to the show, and now your soul does no longer has that skin, body, heart, no. organs. It, the, all that's gone, and your bare soul is there. And now that soul is continuing the journey, having left the body behind, and it's a whole new movie. And that becomes a journey, a whole new journey. So when we die, there's a brief pause. We wake up, and we are now in a different world, in a different dimension, a different sphere. And now we're living under the conditions of that energy, I'm a firm believer that when we cross over, we enter an area of evaluation, assuming that life is an evaluation. We enter that world of that theme of evaluation, and we take have to take account of what we did on the planet right. and how we conducted ourselves. Sometimes, in, if we're talking about linear time, which is not the way the astral, I mean, astral realm obviously is is, is circular. So, but in in regard to linear time, some of us, when we get up there, are sent right back down to Earth. Others get more time in the astral realm to study and learn. And It's sort of like a roulette wheel. The, you know, the, the, the thing spins, and that's the eternity. And then suddenly the little ball lands on a page, on yeah. a square. And that square has a meaning. It has a significant meaning, especially if you wager a bet. So one could consider that to be random. A brilliant uh, physicist could rapidly absorb the way the wheel is spinning 
and drop the ball into the roulette wheel if he's conducting it as such and determine by sheer calculation where that ball is going to land. Well, I've done that so many times. Random. I'm, I'm, always, I'm always calculating where the ball and the roulette wheel is going to land. So, in that regard, it's one of my favorite pastimes. Yeah, Las Vegas loves. They wait less. Well, I mean, I've never honestly been a gambler at all. Never interested in gambling. Thank goodness, not one of my vices. Well, you know, it's a little bit of luck, but not, not, not gambling. Um. Like my fair lady, a little luck, and it's a little bit of calculation. And well, what's some your, of us well, use pure calculation to determine our life. That's our life right. And, and how we that's work a good analogy. Just sort of go with the flow and let life be what it is, and you experience it. So, but again, it's not always. A volunteer effort. We are susceptible to brackets of life, birth, and death demand that we have some restrictions towards free will and the conditions that are set upon us that not everyone has controlled every minute of their life. Unexpected things happen. There's a great book by Joseph Heller, Something Happened. The attitude of that something that happened, that attitude that we can't control can sometimes be a whole narration of life. It sets on a course in our life, the death of a child, um, a severe accident, a, a major accomplishment, a marriage, a breakup, a creation of some kind. All these things set the course of our brain cells and now live according to experience. Yeah, but I mean, they, all of those things can happen in a person's life. A terrible accident, a major accomplishment. So it's a, I mean, you know, for some people it's yeah, an up I mean, and down. All, they're, all possible, they're all possible experiences. Right, they so they're going to. Simultaneous and all inclusive. But sometimes we're impacted. By one specific, by one specific, specific thing, and, right. and we right. direct our energy towards that, whether we flee from it and isolate our, the, the circumference of our life into a narrow passageway, or whether we break through the barriers of harsh experience and challenge it, which a lot of people do in terms of handicapped people, and they meet the challenge and they remarkably succumb their handicap in such a way that they adapt beautifully. And they and they see like it, it's not a, it's not an annoyance. It's part of the flow of their of their inaccuracy to be normal, if you will. But they make a normal existence out of it. So it's always you know, we're, we're amazing creatures in terms of that. But again, um we have to live by certain codes and creeds and understand where the limitations are. And if we do understand the limitations, we have the right to challenge them as well. So 
I think we could probably end earlier. Okay, uh, we'll do that. Today. All right. And um, thanks for listening and join us and again next week. Thanks for calling, Dion. Dion. She's still on there. Yeah. She's listening. Oh, okay, yeah. Thanks, Dion. Dion. I don't know why I'm not putting the emphasis. Run around the suit. Dion. Dion. Well, yeah, but she was Dion Warwick. I know. She was named after But yeah, run around. Okay. Back on the air next week. TBA. We don't know when. Well, Dion is the moment I wake up. I turn on the Neil and Kristen Baker hour and say a little prayer for them. (laughs) But we'll end it there. Right. I wish we could end it on a better note. (laughs) Maybe next time. Okay. Talk to you soon.